Lawyers always need to be on top of their game, or at least appear to be. It can feel overwhelming to recognize or admit when we aren't, and even harder to reach out and get help. Welcome to Sidebar, brought to you by North Carolina's Lawyer Assistance Program, where lawyers help lawyers by sharing their experience, strength, and hope as they delve into their personal journeys of recovery. Hi, I'm Candace Hoffman, the field coordinator with LAP. I'm excited to share my conversation with Doug, one of our amazing LAP volunteers, who's a heck of a criminal defense attorney. We will be talking about his article published in the sidebar called Get Off the Couch, which you should check out after the podcast. It can be found in the show notes for today's episode. And now we'll jump right into the conversation. Uh, So I'll go to the most jarring thing I saw in the article that would break most lawyers into a cold sweat when you paint the picture in your first couple paragraphs of laying on the couch and having several piles and, and drawers of letters from the state bar that were unopened and a grievance hearing looming. You're still alive today, which is good. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know that is a big fear of a lot of lawyers. So can you take me back to that day and explain more about that? Well, yeah, thank you. I, I had been getting a uh, inquiries from the bar previous, probably 18 months for a, a couple of different things. And it started off as just regular letters and ask, asking me to comply with some trust account bookkeeping problems. You know, I had been audited and was not following the specifics of the regulations. Rather than just go ahead and fix those, I just sort of put it off and put it off and put it off. And like I said, I, it started out with some letters from the bar telling me that I needed to get in compliance with the regulations as had been outlined by the auditor. And I didn't do anything about that. And then it progressed from there. Somehow the resident superior court judge, I believe, got notified that something was going on with me. And so he directed one of the local attorneys to come talk to me about it. Of course, I told the uh, attorney who came to talk to me about it that I would get on it right away, get get everything straightened out. There was no big deal and I could get that done and I didn't do that. Then the certified <laughs> then the certified letter started coming and I was I I I took the sign for those on occasion and thought I would wait until a better time to open them up. Sometimes I, I believe I opened one or two, but mostly I just put them in my uh, drawer for a later time when I had uh, steeled myself enough to to actually deal with it, which never happened. So finally, after a couple of more visits from, uh, or maybe one or two more visits from lawyers telling me to get my act together, I got served by a sheriff with a complaint from the grievance committee and a notice or summons to show up for a, for a hearing. That seemed to be something that was re- going to be really difficult to ignore. So I ignored it. It was that ultimate thing that several days later 
you know, weighed weighed heavily enough upon me to, you know, to to finally realize that uh, I needed to do something. And during this whole period of time, of course, I was drinking heavily and, you know, pushing off other responsibilities that I needed to take care of with my practice and just sort of pushing things aside, dealing with dealing with the daily minutia of, of getting, you know, cases continued or resolved, you know, okay, meeting with clients, doing the things that needed to be done in that immediate moment so I could get time to drink heavily. And so I'm sure for, for a lot of attorneys listening who don't struggle with issues and find themselves in recovery, the thought of ignoring certified letters from the bar or fixing things that could be easily, quote unquote, easily fixable seems to be an insane option. <laughs> but if you were to hear another attorney who has the same disease describing doing these things, would you be shocked? No, not at all. I would, I mean, I have heard, you know, many different times, the same sort of response to those sort of issues, you know, and it seems to be a pretty typical response for alcoholics dealing with, you know, major problems, major issues. It's it, I've, I've mentioned, you know, having a drawer full of uh, unopened certified letters. And I've seen lots of people laugh and nod at that, you know, in, in meetings and so forth. So I, I don't think it's an uncommon response, really. The day that the letters became too much, that you, that you got off the couch and walked across the street and asked for help, what was special about that day? Not, not a thing. Absolutely nothing was different about that day than any other day. And that's what I find so mind-blowing, mind-boggling, is that it was the same way I'd felt for months. And, you know, just this feeling of impending doom and no way out. I felt like, well, what I felt like was I couldn't get up and go to court on this day and look people in the eye and proceed as if nothing else was going on. That feeling had been, you know, present for, like I said, months. Uh, and I don't know what it was that that day I just decided I can't do this anymore. I need some help. If I, you know, I really, you know, in talking with, talking with people who are struggling now with addiction, I wish I could say this is what you need to do in order to make, get to that realization. But it, it, it's a mystery to me. So when you walked across the street in your article, you talk about going to an attorney that you had known for a while, been maybe somewhat of a mentor and mm -hmm. asking for help. And what happened when you did that? When, when I went over there and, and talked to him, it was a situation in which he first seemed to want to try to deal with the legal issues that were facing me, because that's how I you know, he's a lawyer and that's what he deals with his legal issues. And I was facing some legal issues with the bar and so forth. And so we talked about that for a little bit. And uh, I think ultimately I said, you know, that I think I, I needed something more than just legal help at this point. I had, I don't know, I think that, I think that I, the lawyer's assistance program, which was called the PALS at that time, had reached out to me so I mentioned that to him as well and said, I knew that this, this organization was out. Maybe they could help as well. And what were you afraid of? Like, obviously something had stopped you, 
before from walking across the street and asking for help? What were you afraid was going to happen? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was afraid that this whole facade that I thought I had created going to get torn down and I was going to be exposed for what and who I really was. And that, that seemed like a very daunting prospect. You know, I had, I had no illusions about, well, I had lots of illusions. (laughs) I still do have lots of illusions and delusions. It, It was just, you know, I wanted to appear like I had my act together, that I had things under control, that I was managing things well, that I was an adult living, prospering and dealing with an adult world. And that was not the case at all. Funny, I see that's a really big theme, I feel like, in your story from what I've read, is that illusion and the grasping for control. I could see in your story that it was very important to you that you have control over your drinking, over the things around you, over, you know, other people's perception of you. And so when you turned your control over, when you went and asked for help and stopped trying to control everything, did everything fall apart or did it get better? What happened? Uh, Well, everything was already had, (laughs) had fallen apart pretty much. So um, there was no place to go but up at that point. But everything started to get better. Everything started, I felt like a ton of bricks had been relieved from my sh- you know, shoulders. I felt like I could breathe again. Felt like a plan was getting developed to, something was happening that, that you know, offered me a way out. And it was really, it was really the first time that I'd ever reached out for help about my drinking or just, you know, just about anything, frankly. I remember that, you know, one of the next steps was to go to uh, a treatment facility to do an assessment. And I did that the next day. And it was the first time that I had ever really spoken honestly about the amount and the frequency with which I drank. That was uh, liberating to be able to be honest about that. Or, you know, you talk to doctors, you talk to people who care about you, you know, and they ask you how much you had to drink and how much you drink. And you say a couple of beers at dinner, a little bit here, a little bit there. And sometimes, you know, and it's all a bunch of bull. It's, you know. You're still working to keep up that facade. Right, right. It takes a lot of work. Also, when you were talking about, I love the, the extremes that we go to and how much planning there is when you're trying to control your drinking and hide it from everybody in that facade and mm-hmm. that you were drinking boxed wine because your wife and the other people <laughs> in your house couldn't keep track of how much alcohol, which is a genius idea. And I was wondering if she ever caught on to that. She caught on to the fact that I was drunk quite a bit and that I smelled like alcohol and that I stunk of alcohol in the morning. I don't think she ever picked up on the wine box ruse or the, you know, the beer hidden in the car or the bottles that I would throw out the back window and or the back, yeah, the back window of our house into the woods. And we did get some work done a few years back and got our back nature area cleaned out. And she was surprised at the number of beer bottles back there. <laughs> Which I, you know, I don't like to litter, but, you know, when you got to get your drink in, you got to give up some walls. 
Yeah, priorities. Right, that, that's what I'm trying to say. And why, what's, what has recovery given you that's made it so worth it? Um, boy, it's, it's given me freedom. It has given me some serenity. It has given me an opportunity to interact with people on a real meaningful level. It has given me an opportunity to be of service to people. It has allowed me to maintain a family, uh, a loving, a loving family, um, and a good relationship with those people in my family, my daughter, my wife, my stepchildren, my, now my grandchildren, you know, to be present for life itself. That's a pretty big gift. It's an amazing gift that keeps on giving. And I wish I could give it to those out there who are still suffering, but it's not, doesn't work that way, really. So how does, how does being still involved with LAP, how does that play in with your recovery? Well, it allows me to um, be present to, to provide whatever help I can to anybody out who, who, who's requesting it. It's allowed me to, you know, be of service to fellow lawyers who might be struggling or might be in trouble. It's allowed me to meet other lawyers who have been in the same situation as I, and it makes me feel like a part of something greater than myself. And it just makes me feel being a part of something is a great feeling I never really had before. I'd never really been a joiner of anything. I'd never really done any service work of any kind. Um, You know, I thought I was a decent person, but I never did anything to give me the reason to (laughs) feel like I was a decent person. I think the first or second year of my recovery, I went with my sponsor to the PALS annual meeting when I was standing outside the ballroom where everybody was meeting, I had this sense that I was, that all those people in that ballroom where I was about to go, that they were like me and they were, that they were fellow travelers along this, this path of recovering. And it, it it made me feel good. I still remember that, that moment. That's amazing. Well, there's certainly, many lawyers who have benefited from you being in recovery and providing that very valuable service. I don't know about that. I know that I've benefited from it. That's for damn sure. That's, that's, you know, one of the remarkable things about this program is that it's, it's just remarkable. I agree. And I wanted to ask you one last question about, you said in your article, You said, I didn't realize the profound effect alcoholism had on all aspects of my life, including shaping my own perception about how I was being affected by alcohol, basically clouding my perception so that I could not see the truth. I drank because I thought that if I didn't drink, I was going to die. And it turns out that if what alcohol was doing was killing me, it was a slow and painful death, both physically and mentally and um you know also spiritually and i didn't realize just how much my life revolved around alcohol to the exclusion of anything else that i I felt like i had to have it every day and as often as i could and it's 
great quantity, you know, as, as, as much as I could consume. And I didn't, didn't realize the sacrifices I made in other aspects of, of my life, you know, whether it was family, friends, you know, I would make sure that any sort of event that I went to had, you know, alcohol provided, or I wouldn't go, you know, it was just the focus that, that took away the, what should be the real focus. Thank you so much. And thank you for talking with us today. I look forward to seeing more good things from you. Thanks, Candace. Thank you for joining us at the sidebar. If this is your first time, we encourage you to listen to another episode or two, subscribe to our newsletter, and peruse the resources at www.nclap.org. And if you know a lawyer who could use a hand, please share this episode with them today. Remember, at Sidebar, you are not alone. In fact, you are in quite good company.